1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says, Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines... That's stinking. No, don't want uh, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Praise God for being known by him. Therefore, as to eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. They are fake news, as they say. <laughs> and there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, uh, through whom all, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. Uh, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do eat, but take care. That is right of yours, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an, an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Lord, as we uh, dig into your word, Lord, as... Lord, as we stand in victory, Father, there was that moment where you were the lamb that looked as if he were slain, and yet the vision is that you were standing in victory. And so, Father, we, we stand now, and we stand uh, in victory. We stand, Father, that, Lord, the, the struggles that we walk in here with, Lord, you want and are victorious in those areas. Lord, we join with brothers and sisters here, Father, that uh, are, are maybe not yet uh, a believer, but are here curious, Father. We stand with those that are, have been Christians for, for decades, Father. We stand with those that maybe, Father, they said yes to a relationship with you while they were driving around this morning listening to the radio, and now they just happen to find themselves in a church. Lord, together as God's people, we stand wanting to place ourselves under the authority of how the Holy Spirit will use your word. Lord, we pray for uh, Trinity. We pray, Father, for new life. We pray for Tom's River community. Father, we pray for the slew of churches that also gathered right now for the preaching of your word. Father, we pray that you would bring more people into saving faith and saving knowledge, no matter the church. Would people bow a knee to you? First and foremost, and most importantly. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time, and I thank you that we get to submit ourselves not to any earthly person's authority, but to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
in your name. Amen. You guys can have a, a seat. Uh, I am uh, super thankful that I have not met some of you. Uh, my name is, uh, is Jason, and uh, I am uh, got, I'm a priv- privileged just to be a fellow servant and uh, somebody that gets to be a pastor here. Uh, I sometimes fart and blame it on my dog, uh, just like you. Uh, and so uh, we are all humans here submitting ourselves under the word of God. And, uh, and so here we are. But uh, I've been on sabbatical for the last uh, three months. And uh, I wanted just to start by saying thank you guys. Uh, I'll, I'll thank you for allowing that privilege. And, and not only that, but, but for supporting me. Uh, this, this could have gone off like, uh, like, you know how, like you might ask a spouse, hey, can I go out with the girls or I'm going to go out with the boys? And the, and the spouse kind of says yes, but then you kind of pay the price for going out and doing it. <laughs> you ever been there? Uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, you, you guys are like, hey, a thumbs up, like go and do it. But then also you supported me through it. And so um, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for giving Graham way more gray hair. Uh, I came back. Uh, he has so much more gray, uh, and it is a glorious thing. Uh, and so I joke, but seriously, thank you, uh, thank you for uh, for that, and thank you to Graham, Pastor Graham, for uh, just leading the way through through this time. Uh, and so uh, I am uh, wanting uh, to uh, look over a new series. We're starting a new series where uh, it's called "Asking for a Friend." And, uh, and so the purpose of this series is that we reached out to our congregation now probably eight months ago and asked this question of, hey, in a small group or life group setting, what would you be too embarrassed to ask? And you might want to ask the question under the, that parentheses or uh, quotations of like, I'm asking for a friend, but it's really for you type of a question. Like, what would you be too embarrassed to ask publicly, but you really, really want an answer. And so the next few weeks are going to be in a word, uh, juicy. Uh, It won't necessarily uh, be PC, but I don't really care about uh, being PC. I care more about being BC and being biblically correct. Uh, And so you're going to be like, oh, how does he vote? It doesn't matter. I vote, okay? Uh, And so uh, we're just going to go to God's word and look over these questions. And so uh, the first question, though, is, is this. Hi, so I'm asking for a friend. Why do we push, especially younger women, to purity and bearing the responsibility of young men's purity? Perception is that women somehow control men's purity. This seemingly removes the responsibility of men to remain pure and places it on the female. Got your popcorns? <laughs> we're going to start with that. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be fun. But anyways, yeah, seriously, we're going to dig into that. Uh, while I was on sabbatical, let me, let me start with a story. I was on sabbatical. I went to the beach. And uh, I, uh, whenever I go on vacation, uh, I make goals for my vacations to try to tackle goals while I'm on vacation, uh, which always leads to a comment from my wife where she looks at me dead in the eyes and says, you suck at being bored. And she's right. Uh, and so uh, over sabbatical, I knew I had to kind of force myself to like, like just kind of like sit down and just relax and unwind and refresh and things of that nature. And so I lived by the beach. And so I went to the beach with my kids. And uh, Ava was working. So I, one day I, uh, in particular, I took my kids uh, to the beach. 
And uh, there I am. It was about 20 minutes or so that they're out in the water and I'm reading a book. I'm listening to maybe listening to a book, journaling, kind of things of that nature. Uh, and then about 20 minutes in, I found out that there are two types of people uh, in this world. And I don't know which side of the equation you fall, fall on, but there's the type of people uh, that love to go uh, to the beach and listen to music for everybody to hear, <laughs> and the other type of person that knows that God created headphones. Uh, and so uh, I don't know uh, who you are, what side of the equation you were on, but there I was at the beach to myself with my earbuds, uh, and I could hear somebody in a wide open beach set their chair up 10 feet from me, whip out a speaker, put it on their beach chair, and then start blasting the unholy country music uh, and of all things it was country and like horses and like giddy up I don't know like garbage and, and so there I was just trying to mind my business and it was like I don't want to listen to this country stuff it's a gray area there's no laws or rules for that we're talking about something that's like okay like is it right for me is it wrong for me is it clearly wrong is it clearly right I don't know but we can apply some principles into these gray areas, right? And so we're going to look at God's word, and we're going to look at this purity movement, modesty, and, and, and men and purity, and women and purity, and what does that mean, and where has culture taken it? But, but it's a gray area for when we dig down into it, and so we want to look at God's word and, and look, okay, what do we apply in this gray area? What do we do? Uh, what, what, how, do we, how do we keep love at the center of it? Because at the, in the middle of unity is a word called it. What's the it factor? When we walk in here and there is gray areas, gray areas around, should I put $20 on my, uh, on my sports book account, DraftKings, and should I make a bet? It's a gray area. Should I, should I drink uh, when it's not a problem for me, but should I, should I drink around somebody who maybe has a problem with it? What is my right? And we can, we can uphold our rights in certain areas. We have Christian liberty, and some things aren't necessarily black and, right, or black and white in God's words. And so what do, we, what do we do in these gray areas? What do we apply? How do we stay unified? What is at the center of our unity? What is the it fact? I think Paul addresses that, and that's why we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today. There is an it factor that we have to, to remember that will keep us unified in these gray areas. And so what is that it factor? Paul's going to share that with us. And so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You guys already, already saw that. I, already, I read it to you. We'll read through it again. Uh, but the context is that that's a church. Corinth is a, church, is a city, uh, and in that city is a church, and that church is in a, is in a pagan city. They had gods of all sorts of gods. They had temples to all sorts of gods. And you could go and you could sacrifice food to these idols made of wood, made of metal, made of whatever. You could sacrifice there. And it was creating this gray area for the church of what do we do with this? This was a church of mature believers. This was a church of immature believers. This was a church where Paul would write comments saying, man, you guys have it going on in all the right ways. But then Paul would also, 1 Corinthians, write about some heinous sexual sin within the church. So this was a church that was all over the map, in a city that's all over the map. And you have people coming out of pagan worship and going into the one true worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that is creating these gray areas. And Paul is saying, what do we do in the midst of of the gray. So we're going to look at God's word today. 
and we're going to dig into what he says as the it factor. And so the first three verses that Paul, that we already read is this, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. What a beautiful thing to to have our focus right from the very beginning on loving. That we get to be loved by God, known by God, and then that motivates and encourages us to go and love our fellow man, our fellow brother, our fellow sister. That love is this way of being remembering the Lord's love for us in a, in a way that we get to love others so that they would know God. But Jason, come on, like what about this food and, and this, this, it, it being sacrificed and stuff? Like, are, are we going to have a meat sacrifice today? No, that would be weird. <laughs> But put yourself in their shoes for a second. Walk back some 2,000 years ago. Wouldn't it be uncomfortable for you? Like if you showed up to a nice, well-meaning Christian's uh, house for dinner and they bought food in the marketplace earlier that day that yesterday was sacrificed to an idol, would you eat it? Would you buy the meat? Is it okay to buy the meat? Is it okay to give it out to friends? Is it like, and, and so this creates a gray area. Like, and I, if I'm honest, right, as, I, as I'm reading this and as I'm digging more into this food sacrifice to idols and why it was creating this gray area in the church, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm a, I'm a conservative New England boy uh, that is super traditional in, in his own right in certain ways. I'm like, that would be really uncomfortable for me to eat food that was sacrificed to an idol. And so it created this gray area. And Paul is reminding us from the very very beginning, what's the it factor to unity? How do we stay unified around something that maybe isn't crystal clear in scripture? Maybe you think it's crystal clear, but maybe it's not to all. And so what do we do? What do we put as the it factor? And Paul reminds us that love is the it factor, that how you love each other is the it factor. So how do we love in the gray? You have freedom to do a whole bunch of things that aren't necessarily sinful, but it might be sinful for another person. So what do you do with your liberty? What do you do when you walk into the American church and it's, give me liberty or give me death? (laughs) What do you do when you're driving in, blaring like, come on, you got to fight for your right to party. Like like we have these American mantras that we walk into the church with, but is, is that right? Like, do we fight for our rights like that with our brothers and sisters when fighting for our rights might actually hurt them? And so I think what Paul is reminding us right from the very beginning is that love tempers liberty. You and I have freedom you have I have liberty to do a whole bunch of things. You have liberty to go and place a sports bet. You have liberty to go and have a drink. You have liberty to go and, and do certain things. But how do we use our liberty for our brother or our sister? How does love guide the conversation? Paul brings out knowledge. He brings out love. We've, we've read it. You know, the, the, the super religious, they use love and knowledge to be super religious. The, the, the stringent of faith. But then love and knowledge is also used by somebody that wants to be liberal with their faith and do a whole slew of things. They're going to say, I have love and I have knowledge and I can do. So on both sides of the extreme, when it comes to holiness, love and knowledge can be used. But love must temper our liberty. And so we're going to look at how to apply these two factors now in these gray areas. And so our first point is this, is that love under 
stands. Verses 4 through 6 says, Therefore, as to eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is uh, no God but one. And for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, whom all things uh, and through whom we exist, and the one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul says right from the beginning, okay, here's a gray area. Love is going to understand. Love is going to seek understanding in a gray area. Here's what, as Christians, we need to remember and remind ourselves when we're going and navigating through this gray area. Paul gives us two truths. The idols are completely fake, and there is one God. So placing food before a human being that carved a wooden image or, or, or sculpted a metal thing or a clay thing, whatever it might have been, placing food before a man-made thing that has no existence, is not real, is completely fake, is absolutely meaningless. It does, it's inconsequential. And so the food doesn't magically change. The food, and it is all fake, Paul is reminding us. Now he's also, because it would be an abomination to the word of God, he's not saying, well, since it's nothing, it's okay to send a sacrifice to them. That's not up for debate right now, or at all. The question is, what do we do with the food after the fact? What do we do when they take that meat that was sacrificed to a fake God and start selling it in the marketplace where we can serve it on the table or, heaven forbid, even serve it in church? Is it okay? Is it wrong? Am I sinful or unholy for doing that? We might feel that way or we might feel that it wouldn't be the case. And if, again, if I'm being honest with you, I would feel uncomfortable. I would feel uncomfortable buying pagan meat that was sacrificed to a pagan god and serving it here at church for a dinner or something. I would feel uncomfortable. But Paul reminds us right from the beginning in this gray area, remember, they're fake. And remember, we serve the one true God, the only God that actually exists. And so early on in my marriage, I needed to seek uh, understanding on something. And if you guys have been around Wildspring, you, you know this. Um, I, I, like I said, I grew up in New England, a conservative Baptist church. Uh, that is my upbringing in, in a conservative family. Uh, and so then uh, I married somebody uh, that loves the tattoo. And, uh, and, uh, and I was like, oh, it was, like, it was cool, like, you know, no, big, no big or anything. Uh, but I think she wants a sleeve in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and so uh, she, early on, it was just probably like year three or so of our marriage. She's like, hey, what would you think if I got like another tattoo? I was like, well, you're going to put mama in the grave. So do, you really, do we really want to do this? Uh, do we really want to have this conversation, right? And... Uh, and so she's like, yeah, I really want to have this conversation. <laughs> okay. Um, and so uh, tattoos, I don't got tattoos. I grew up kind of like you don't smoke or chew or go with those who do that, whatever that saying is. And I was like, Ava, like you're already tatted up. Like what's going on? She has one. She had at that point one tattoo. And, uh, uh, but it might, might as well have been a sleeve to my family. And um, anyways, I digress. And so I went to, I went to my pastor. I was like, Ava, let me, let me just talk to, uh, let me just talk to my pastor and uh, can I just uh, kind of seek God's word and like, really, I'm not going to go with my upbringing. I'm just going to go with the word of God on this. And so I went to my pastor, who, Dr. David Ritter, uh, and he doesn't have any tattoos. His wife doesn't have any tattoos. No one in his family has a tattoo to my knowledge. And so I figured 
he was going to tell me exactly what I wanted to hear, uh, that he was a safe person to go to. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, and so uh, I talked to him, and he was like, well, my family would never get a tattoo, but uh, if they ever did, here's how I would guide them. We would look at the Old Testament. We would look how it was uh, uh, not allowed in the Old Testament. But then we would look at why it was not al allowed and that it was not allowed because those tattoos were made for uh, pagan worship and that many people would get a tattoo of a pagan god. And so it would be a way to worship a pagan god. And so if my family ever wanted to get a Christian tattoo uh, that showed worship to the one true king, uh, I honestly wouldn't have uh, a problem uh, with that. And so he, I was like, so I can't get a tattoo of the Red Sox? He's like, are the Red Sox or the Patriots ever going to be an idol for you? And I was like, you shut your mouth. Um, and um, so Ava and I have, uh, have spoken. She has like, I think she has grace written on her wrist and uh, uh, something, a fish or something on her foot. Or I don't know. She practically has a sleeve. And uh, she doesn't really. She has like two or three tattoos. Uh, but the point is, they're all for worship to the king. Um, and that, for us, was looking at God's word and coming up to an agreement with that. And so uh, I needed to seek understanding in what, to me, is a gray area that, at first, I didn't feel like was a gray area. So what's the gray area before you? How are you going to seek knowledge? I mean, there's certain things that we kind of try to make a gray area that isn't really a gray area, right? Like, adultery is always wrong, <laughs> Drinking to drunkenness is always wrong. Certain things are crystal clear in scriptures and they're always wrong, but what about when I go to dinner with a buddy from Keswick that just got out of the program and three months earlier was at a bar drinking himself silly till blackout drunk? Is it okay to drink then? Creates a gray area. How do we use our liberty? What do we do in that regard? And so I think Paul gives us a principle right here in the midst of this. It's that knowledge brings clarity to the gray. That when there's a gray area in our Christian faith, we need to seek knowledge of that. Not just grow up, this is how mama always did it. This is how it's always been done. But we have to go to God's word in a genuine way to say, God, you've made, you've given principles, you've made some things crystal clear. God, how would you speak into this area? Because Paul gives us knowledge in the area of food being sacrificed to idols. But again, even though I might have knowledge that, hey, it's okay to eat this meat, I'm still uncomfortable. So when I'm uncomfortable, you know what I want to do? I want to regulate the heck out of it to make myself comfortable. So how does love now guide us forward? The second point is that love sacrifices. Paul says this, let me remind you, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association um, with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat. We are no better off if we do do you catch that? But take care that, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For anyone who sees that you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so your knowledge, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother. He calls it sin, wounding their conscience. When it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother 
stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul again says two things pretty crystal clear. In this gray area, you're making an issue out of something that if you step back, it has no benefit to you. You're making an issue of Christian liberty that has no benefit to you. To drink or not to drink? Let's ask this first question. What's the benefit to you? Are we making an issue just to make an issue? So Paul reminds us first, let's get out of our selfish way and look at the issue at hand that we're making a gray area and say, this has no benefit to me. Okay, so what about your brother or sister? Your brother or sister that perhaps last week was in a pagan temple sacrificing this perhaps very meat to somebody else. And now they see you eating the meat that was sacrificed to a pagan god. And because they are weak in the faith, they are new to the faith, they're going to be inclined to go back to pagan worship because they see you being careless with this meat because you know it is your right, because you know you can't, because you know it has no impact on your faith. They see that and they will be inclined because of the lifestyle that they are coming out of to go back into. And Paul gives us here two principles. If you want to elevate your rights, fight for your rights over fighting for your brother or sister in Christ Jesus, if you want to fight for rights' rights sake and not fight for your brother or sister's sake, Paul calls that crystal clear, sin, to elevate myself over my brother or sister is sin. But then he gives us the second principle where you can flip this. If I fight for my brother or sister's sake and elevate him or her over what is my right, that's love. That's loving my my brother or sister. That is what's the opposite of love. It's not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. And so when I am selfless, I get to be a little bit more like my loving Jesus. And these are the principles that Paul is reminding us of. That we as Christians need to practice self-restraint. That we as Christians, you want to find out if a Christian is mature in their faith? Don't let them have something. (laughs) Tell them no. And see the attitude that comes up. And you'll you'll get a pulse then on maturity. And Paul is saying to elevate my fellow brother or sister over my own wants, over my own desires, to have an attitude that loves them. Joe, can you bring up my uh, sandbag? Um, I went on Amazon this week and bought a sandbag because I was like, what's a, what's a, what's a modern-day stumbling block? And, uh, and so I bought a sandbag. Just turn around and show everybody the sandbag. I've never used a sandbag before. Um, and so I went to the beach and filled it up, which I think might be illegal, but we're, this is a gray area, uh, so it's a safe place. Uh, and so filled it up and didn't realize how insanely heavy a sandbag is. Not light, right? Not light. All right. Stephanie's here, uh, so that's like a feather for Joe, because, 
all right? Uh, and I, I kid. But anyways, real heavy. And a sandbag is, uh, is, can be used for a lot of good. A sandbag, if, if you live by the beach, you can use a, sand, a bunch of sandbags to protect your house. Other people don't live by the beach, and so they don't need the sandbag. But for you, it might be useful. For me, it could be useful. I don't really know. Uh, you can hunker down. You can bunker down. You can make a whole house out of sandbags, a whole, you know, four walls and a little uh, hole for a door. You could, you could do that. You could fight a war with them. There's, there's a whole lot of uses for this. A, a, a nonsensical use of it would be me having 30 of these and spreading them around the church for giggles. Right? You would sue me. <laughs> like if you walked in here on your own, not a big deal. You would navigate around all the sandbags. But in a crowd of people, if I put a whole bunch of these out there, somebody eventually is going to trip up, right? There's a term for sandbagging. Have you heard that term sandbagging before? Well, I Googled it, and here's the definition of sandbagging. Sandbagging is deceptive behavior to, intended to lower someone's expectations so that they can be taken by surprise later. I think that's what Paul is addressing here. Too many Christians are sandbagging their fellow Christians in a way where our enemy gets a hold of them later. So we need to stop sandbagging each other and start loving each other. Joe, you can have a seat. Show, uh, show Stephanie how light that, uh, <laughs> that is. But the concept, again, is love. And you're going to say, well, I shouldn't have to because my brother or sister is weak. Do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, you shouldn't have to. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody was just good and holy? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? I shouldn't have to think about my brother's purity. I shouldn't have to think about how I dress. I shouldn't have to think about a certain conversation that I'm thinking about having. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to. <clears throat> Jesus shouldn't have had to leave the glory of heaven for you and I. Because we are so broken, Jesus left perfection because of our brokenness, your brokenness, my brokenness. Philippians uh, 2, uh, verses 3 through 5 says, Do nothing in selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus Christ humbly sacrificed for you and I in our weakness. And so it is our joy when our brothers or sisters are struggling to give of ourselves. It's one of our values here. It, usually we talk about this in, in terms of like giving of our time, our money, our, our things of that nature. But what about giving of ourselves for our brother or our sister who is weak and struggling? To sacrifice for them. To love them. Let that be the it factor for them. That is the principle in this section. The principle simply says sacrifice is how we love in the gray. So what have we said today? Love tempers liberty. The first principle was love understand, or the first point was love understands of the principle. Knowledge brings clarity to the gray. Second point, love sacrifice. And principle is sacrifice is how we love in the gray. And so when my wife goes to the gym and is talking about the dirty old men that are, that are looking at everybody all over the place, she feels uncomfortable. And then she's asking me, like, what do I wear to the gym? Because I don't want to wear a sweatshirt because I'm working out. Uh, but I also, like, is it okay to wear yoga pants? Is it okay to do this? Is it okay? Like, a gray area, right? Because thou shalt not wear yoga pants is nowhere in here. <laughs> we talk about the gray. We apply these principles. 
when it comes to placing a, a bet on a sports game, because that's now uh, common in today. Like, is it okay to place a $5 bet? I don't, it's a gray area. But how would you handle that in front, of, in front of a brother or sister that has spent their whole bank account betting? It's a gray area. So how do we apply these principles? And so last night, I, uh, I preached this sermon uh, to my family. <laughs> uh, I had my, my son, who's 12, my other son, who's 11, and my daughter, who is uh, 8, uh, sitting in front of me. Ava was there, and we talked about the it factor. Unity, love. We got to love each other. We got to love each other. And so when it comes to this question, let's remind ourselves of, of the question. Uh, the question that we're talking about is this purity of movement. How do we handle our, uh, the sense of purity? Because culture has said like, hey, women, this is all on you. Men are dirty pigs. So you need to change everything about yourselves because they're dirty pigs. And God has made them as dirty pigs. It's your fault. That's what the message that many has re have received from the church growing up. And so that's what prompts the question of the purity movement. Why has this been all put on women? And so I sat in front of my, my kids last night, and I'll give you my answer to them that I let them know last night. Here's what it was at the heart of it. There is a the verse in, in uh, Song of Solomon that says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And then I talked to my daughter. When you want to go out the house wearing a shirt that shows off your tum-tum, Daddy has issues with that. Oh, you're so oppressive, Jason. No, I'm not. I'm a dad who loves Jesus that wants to look at my daughter and say, if you want to show off your body, let's talk about the heart of that. Let's talk about why that is so important to you. Is that really what you want to do? Is that really how you want to get attention? Down the list of talking points might be men are dirty pigs, watch yourself. But it's going to be like number 32 as the talking points. It's not where we start the conversation. We start the conversation with the heart. Does that mean, Jason, okay, you've handled your daughter. Now what about your boys? Boys, I should never catch you only talking to the cute girl. Boys, I should never see that you only bring the girl to our house that has to put the sweatshirt on when they get out the car to come and meet mama. Why is that so important to you? If how somebody looks is how you start the conversation, something is wrong right here. And so let's address the heart. And so it's, it's, that is what I do with both of my kids, both genders within my own family. And to Ava and I, yes, we think about what we wear. We think, I think about that with broad strokes that I don't want a woman to be emotionally attached to me. And so I think about the conversations that I have. I think about where I have the conversations. I think about when I have the conversations. I think about if somebody else is better positioned to have the conversation because I don't want to be emotionally attached or have somebody emotionally attached to me. Ava does not have, want to have somebody longing after her body and things of that nature. And so it is both and for you and I to let love be the it factor and love our fellow brother or sister. My issue with the purity movement is that it's been one-sided. Not that it's wrong. We need to address both. So brothers and sisters in the room, care about your fellow man or fellow woman and let that love for Jesus Christ guide how we live. 
So here's my challenge for us today is to simply this, apologize to somebody. <laughs> Maybe you've been on the equation where you've come at somebody in the gray area and you're thinking about it, you're like, I've never really looked at God's word and you know what? I might have been absolute. I might have said this is right or this is wrong. And I came at you and I'm looking at God's word. And I'm saying, ah, it's a little bit more of a gray area. And so I need to apologize to you for yelling at you for how you voted. Ooh, gray area. Ah, not... Not PC. I need to. I yelled at you for not having a drink with me. I yelled at you for having a drink. I yelled at you, but it, it, apologize to someone because maybe you elevated, perhaps on the other side of that equation, perhaps you elevated your rights over your brother or sister. And so this week, I'm just challenging you to give an apology to somebody where maybe we've screwed this up. Would you guys uh, stand and take communion with me? I want to end with a uh, time of communion because I think if we're going to be unified around anything, we should be unified around Jesus Christ who came to earth and died for broken me and broken you. If we're going to be unified around anything, it's gonna, we're going to look around and say, we sit or stand in a room of broken people and Jesus Christ took on our brokenness. Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven for you and I and then died in our place. He gives us principles of love on how we navigate these gray areas. And so we become unified around the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We're not unified really around much else, but this is where we should be unified. Together in this. I shouldn't have to care about your holiness, but I get to, and it's a joy. You shouldn't have to care about my holiness, but you get to, and I hope it's a joy. Because we have a shared mission. A shared mission. Be more like the King of Kings every single day and help others do the same. On the night that the Lord was betrayed by one of his close friends, Jesus took bread and he passed it around, broke it. And then he said to them, it must have been so confusing in the moment, right? There, there, there they are celebrating Passover. It's like, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Who is it? Oh, I don't know. And he says, as often as you get together, and they're like, what? Like, where? What? Like tomorrow? And he breaks bread and he gives us something that we've been doing for the last 2,000 plus years to join with our brothers and sisters now, our brother and sisters that have gone before us, and our brother and sisters that will be to come. We take communion together. And so the night that the Lord was betrayed, he broke bread, passed it around, and he said, as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of my body being broken for you. Let's take the bread. And then he took the cup representing a new relationship, a new covenant, to use that term. How was it established? How does it even exist? It exists by the blood of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that the blood of Jesus was spilt for broken me. And so he said, as often as you get together, take this cup, pass it around, and drink this in remembrance of my blood being spilt to you. Let's drink Lord, as we go into just one more song of worship, 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to wrestle with your word and to leave here with the resolve that we're going to love our brother and sister. How does that look? We're not going to legalize it. We're not going to create all these different rules and policies, but Father, we're going to let love guide. And I pray that you would give us the wisdom on how to let love guide these conversations. Would you look at my heart before I look at anybody else? Would you deal with my heart and show me whatever wicked ways is within me before I go and try to talk to anybody else? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time in your name. Amen. Let's sing.